You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Sophia had the perfect amount of smile for being on camera. Um, uh, when my buddy Tyler was first starting to do this for us and I did a couple of the announcements, I don't have like an over-exuberant face normally. <laughs> it's with effort over time. Um, my face is normally just kind of zero affect and he's like, just smile like you're crazy and then you're just about there. <laughs> so. uh, Matt and Margot's other son-in-law, one of them is here right now, but their other son-in-law took it to a whole other degree. The, the Drake smile. So, all right, go Drake. <laughs> okay, all fun aside. Um, we're going to be continuing kind of off of what uh, Brian Barr talked about last week. So if you weren't with us, he was talking about our partnership within the church as individuals in the body. And whenever we have someone come in, we want to take time to look at what they said and really delve into it and make sure that we don't just let it go aside and go, okay, now back to what we were doing. Um, But we want to take time and what is this deposit for us and how do we apply it? And um, my wife was having some conversations uh, after the message and somebody said to her, hey, did you notice that over the last year, all the apostolic people that have come in have talked about the mission? And both of us were like, no, no, we didn't notice that. And so I went back, and sure enough, so Brian talked about our participation in this together. He talked about our finances, our faithful expectation, our posture, and relationships. And back in December, when Steve Barr was here, he talked about the purpose of the church, what we're here for, how we do it, what, what defines a New Testament Christian church. And a couple months before that, when Steve Sudworth was here, he talked about the promises of God. He talked about our posture there and our practices thereafter. And even before that, and a couple months before that, we had Jody Romero, and he was talking about evangelism. He was using Jesus' parables when he was talking about the wedding feasts and the banquets when people were invited out and people took invitations and trying to bring people in. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to give out invitations. And so when we get the invitation, we go, great, I'm going to a party. And we go, nope, not yet. Here's a stack of invitations for you too. Now you go out and get more. We are not at the party yet. We're not headed there yet. We have a purpose. We have a job still to do, heading out, handing out those invitations. It's the mission of the church. And so with talking about this and thinking about this, and I start to ask these big existential questions. Why are we here? Why are we doing this? Are we doing the right thing? And Um, And I felt like we had a good handle on this. So what's going on? Why are we getting this repeated message over and over and over again? And we should be asking ourselves that. If someone keeps telling you the same thing over and over and over again, it's good to ask why. Am I not getting it? Should be a first good question there. Because a lot of us, we get kind of in our routines as we're going around. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Why do you keep saying that to me? Why do you keep reminding me that over and over again? We might want to consider, are we not fully getting it? Do we simply need to be reminded of it because we are short of memory, because we're people? Or have I actually never heard this before and I need to really own it for the very first time? Why are we getting this message over and over and over again? And inevitably, after every time someone comes in, it's really, it'll be really convicting for certain people and they'll come up to me and they'll ask, hey, did you ask them to talk about that? And although we do have a conversation ahead of time about when they're coming in and they always ask, hey, is there anything you want me to talk about? 
that people really need to hear. And I will, I will say, hey, we've talked about this, this, and this. You could talk about this, this, and that. Or what would be best is what is God speaking to you right now? What has he been imparting to you for the church as a whole? And every single time when people come in, they choose that option of what God has been speaking to them. So I really have no idea what they're going to say before they get here. And they impart this message. And when it's consistent across the country, across our state, around the world, we're getting this consistent message of the purpose of the church, the mission. When I talk to other pastors up and down the whole state, we get together at least once a month on a Zoom call, see how are each other doing, how can we pray for each other, what are you guys talking about? They're all talking about foundations. They're talking about the same things we, we're talking about. That should be encouraging to us that we're hearing the Spirit of God and what he has for his church. So we should be paying attention to this. We should be moving forward to this. We should be owning this. And so before we really delve too deep into this, we need to ask ourselves, well, then what specifically is the mission? Let's make sure we have it down. We've got good, clear idea of what it is that God has for us because he's got some specific expectations. That's what I titled this this week expectations, because God has something for us to do. He's got a mission. He's partnering with us. He didn't just say, hey, you're saved. Great. Go about your life. No, he gave us something to do, to continue forward, to move forward in this. We're expected as well within that to rely upon him, to seek his face, to be walking with him through that whole process. He's not expecting us to do this on our own, in our own plan, in our own might. He's expecting us to be with him, fulfilling the mission he set forth. So what is that mission? It comes from Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission. It's not the great suggestion. It's not the great, if you've got time, try to do this. It's the great commission. Go forth. All of you, all of us, me, you, everybody that calls upon Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so when we hear biblical truth, there's two responses we can have. And it's all, what I'm going to say is all founded on the idea, the concept that everyone here is a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, today is your day. Today is the day that you can receive the free gift of salvation that he bought for you on the cross. Free for us, an incredible price for him. That all we have to do is accept him as Lord and Savior. And what that means is you get off the throne, the one who's in charge and ruling over your life, is what we, we start in birth from that. You don't have to teach children to want their own way. They got it. What we do have to teach them is to get out of the way and let God lead. That's what we're bringing people to. We're bringing them to their Savior and saying, have you met Jesus? He's got better things in mind for you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. And he has salvation for you, but you need to accept him as Lord and Savior. So that's my assumption, that everybody is operating under that mindset. We're trying to the best we can follow Jesus through the strength and wisdom that he provides us. So when we get good, clear, biblical truth from God, we have two responses if we are followers of Jesus. Number one, you can own it and go, yep, that's true. I need to start exemplifying that in my life, or I need to continue in that in my life. The second response is to excuse yourself from it. 
we do this very often, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. We just look at it and go, that's, yeah, that doesn't really fit for me right now. And we've excused ourselves from the truth that God's providing. We see this throughout Jesus' time here on earth. When he called people, they had different responses. There's the one response that we see when, when he went to Matthew, who was a tax collector. He was in his booth. He was at work. And Jesus came up and said, follow me. He got up and left. He moved. Jesus said, follow. He followed. He moved. He moved. He went immediately. That is the expected response. When Jesus says, go, we go. When he went up to Peter and Andrew, who were brothers, they were fishermen, with their father at work, he said, come, follow me. They stopped what they were doing and they followed Jesus. This is not the common response, unfortunately. That when God speaks, people move. Unfortunately, that's not the common response. What's common is actually what we're going to get into here. We're going to get into how people responded when Jesus told them things. Or when they committed to Jesus, how did they respond? When, he said, when they said, I'm going to be with you. They said, do this. And they're like, ah, but first, we're going to look at that. But what is the mission? What does that mean for us? There were four things I broke out of that great commission. The very first one is the very first word. Go. Not stay. Go. It's a going mindset. We are all going somewhere. We might be going to our work. We might be going to school. We might be going out into our community, our neighborhood. We might be going across the state. We might be going across the nation. We might be growing out into international across the world. But you're going somewhere. God has called you specifically somewhere. It's not going to be the same for everybody in this room. It's going to be a specific call in your life. Where is he called you to go? But you are going. So when, if he's called you to go to work, and that's your mission field, you're not just going to work to make a paycheck. That's part of it. But the mindset should be, I'm here for another reason. I'm going to make disciples. Making a disciple means introducing them to Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus, that means you're a follower of Jesus. So the whole idea of getting there and going is to introduce them. Have you met Jesus? Do you know your Lord and Savior? Do you know what he's done for you? And say, yes, I do. That's great. Or, yes, I do, but I'm not following him. Not so great. You want to talk about that? Continue the conversation. Pursue it. If they have no idea who Jesus is, let me introduce you to him. Let me tell you who he is and what he's done for you. That's the first and foremost. Get them to know Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior. If I get them, I'm, you can't actually make them do that. You're bringing them to Christ. You're introducing them and allowing him to work in their life to accept him as their Lord and Savior. But that's our first part to play, introducing people to Jesus. That's the most important decision they're going to make in their entire life because it's an eternal decision on whether or not they're going to accept Christ as their Savior. It's first and foremost. And where are we going? To all nations. We get that word in our mind, and we put our worldview upon that, and we think nations. That doesn't mean just to every other country in the world. That word is people groups. All other people groups. Meaning, we're called to go to people that don't look, talk, sound, think, behave, vote like us. They're going to be different. We're called to go to them. And when we're called to go to them, that means we're going to have to break down a few barriers. 
they're not the ones that have to break down the barriers to get to us. They're not called to come to us. We are called to go to them. So first, you're going to have to learn their language. That might be their literal language. If you're going to go to Nepal, you have to learn Nepalese. Otherwise, you're just going to go there and you're going to be talking and no one's going to understand anything you're saying. You might have to learn a literal language. But you also might have to learn their language figuratively. If you're called to move across the country, he's planted you in a particular place, and that neighborhood, everybody there loves sports, and you couldn't care less, <laughs> you better learn about sports. You better be able to speak the language. You better be able to relate to the people God has called you to so that you can have an impact in their life, so they're willing to talk to you. We are called to go to all people groups, making disciples. And then, at that point, after we've gone through this point, the very end of that is then teaching them to obey all that I've commanded to you. First and foremost, get all the people to follow Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. And after they accepted who Jesus is, then talk to them about what he has instructed us to do as Christ followers. What is, how do we walk this out? That's when we get to that point. And that can be very daunting, that expectation of that you need to be ready to tell them how to do this because a lot of us feel like we've got a, a fair idea, we're still learning, but I don't have answers to all the questions. What if they ask me a difficult question? You know what's perfectly okay? is to say, I don't know. And to be all right with that. You don't have to know everything. But you don't stay in that either. You don't say, I don't know, we're just going to take it on faith. That can be a very defensive excuse because most of the questions that people ask have answers in the Bible. Just because we don't know it yet doesn't mean the answer isn't there. We're, we need to be able to take some time to delve into it, to look, and maybe go ask somebody who spent more time. I do this for a living. I still don't know everything. I still have to go out to people who've spent their whole life digging through these answers, and I look at what they've found so that I can bring him here, so that you can bring him to other people. It's okay to say, I don't know, but let's go find out. That's a great question. Let's find out together. Because then after you know, when someone else asks it, you've got it right there. It's another tool on your belt. And we have to keep in mind, who are people going to ask the difficult questions? Brand new believer, just accepted Christ. Who are they going to to ask these difficult questions? The person who introduced them to Jesus? Who's right there? The person, you, you've introduced me to Jesus, you must know it all. Whether that's true or not, I mean, that's not going to be true of any of us. None of us know it all. But they're going to go to the person they have that relationship with. They're going to go to the person they trust. They're going to go to the person that it's comfortable to talk to, probably the one that introduced them to Christ. We have to be prepared. This is part of our call, that we have to have a level of preparation in this that someone is going to ask me things, and that might be daunting, but we can't let that dissuade us. We can't let that cause us to shrink back from the mission, from the calling he has for us. So we have these multiple responses. We can either own it or we can excuse ourselves from it. So I'm going to look at a few different accounts of when people were excusing themselves from the mission. Out of Luke 9, starting in verse 57. We have three different accounts here, just one right after the other. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And we know those people. They've heard the message of Jesus. They got excited. I'm going to go everywhere.
everywhere you tell me to go, Jesus. They're excited. They're on fire. He talked about the different types of seeds that are planted. They're the ones that sprouted up immediately. But there's a problem. There isn't deep roots here yet. Because Jesus has an interesting response. He says, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's a little weird, Jesus. He just said he's going to follow you wherever to go. Why are you talking about birds and foxes? We're going to come back to this in a moment. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. That's, that's weird, Jesus. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But... Let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now these seem like really strange responses to give people that have just committed to following God. But we have to look at it because Jesus understands the heart of people. He understands the mind of people. He knows where they're at. And so he always cuts right to the chase. He doesn't dilly-dally about it. He doesn't like walk around the conversation for a while and eventually like, Oh, and look here, truth. No, he comes right at them. That first person he talked to, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, he talks about foxes have holes and birds have nests. He's talking about home. He's talking about comfort. He's talking about familiarity, security. Where we're going, we're not going to have that. Where we're going is going to be dusty and dirty and uncomfortable, and you might be hungry from time to time. We're not staying in hotels. We're sleeping on the ground the majority of the time. Are you willing to give up the little comforts of life? Are you willing to be outside of your comfort zone in general? Willing to talk to people you may not like, that may rub you the wrong way? Willing to go in contexts that aren't familiar to you? It's going to be uncomfortable along the way. When the second guy says, let me go and bury my father, that's a really weird thing to say initially as the response to come follow me. But when we read this, we must realize that his father is most likely not dead. Because if his father was dead, he would be burying his father. He wouldn't be kind of hanging around listening to preachers and sermons. He would be taking care of that. So what he's saying is, let me wait until my father dies. Let me finish out my familial responsibilities let me take care of that because there's a lot of people are relying on me. I need to take care of this right now. There's a lot of pressure. It's not a good time, Jesus. But after that's all sorted, then, then I'll come after you. And Jesus is saying, no, right now. The time is now. I've called you now. Are you going to put me first in your life? The last person saying, I will follow you. And then you say, but. It's called the but clause good friend, Paul Kojla, was here for a while, quite a while. They've moved on to another church at this point, but he said, you know what the butt clause is, Joe? No, I don't, Paul. This is the butt clause. People are going to say all the nice things at the beginning, the things you want to hear, and then they're going to say, but. And what they really mean is what comes thereafter. It's the butt clause. But let me first say farewell to those at my home, my family and friends. But... Let me first take care of the things that are more important than this. 
And that can be a really challenging thing because culture will tell you time and time and time again that if you put God first in your life, you are not a good person. But they will never say God. They will say over and over again, the church. You all, you're always at the church. You're always putting the church first. It's always about that church people. You're never around because of the church. And they will try to make you feel like a bad person for putting the God of this universe first in your life. That's going to continue. That's not going away. But we have to realize they will never say God. Why? Because you can't argue with the idea of God told you to do something. If God told you to do something, everyone gets that you should do that. But they're going to try to make you feel bad for it. And that's not going away. And then we feel, we get that constant pressure from family and from friends. You're always doing this. You're never prioritizing us. Don't we matter at all to you? Does this sound familiar to anybody? But God didn't call people to abandon their families. God didn't call people to abandon their friends. He said, get on the mission. Do you know what's interesting about that? You can bring them on the mission. Your family and friends can come with you on the mission. You don't have to be without them. Somehow we, we don't ever make that crossover. Like, nah, it's either Jesus or everybody else. They can come with you. So we should be bringing them with us. We shouldn't be abandoning our family and friends. We should be bringing them along. Hey, we've got a mission. We've got a plan. We're all in this. Let's get on board. Let's do this together. So we can still be together moving forward with Jesus. Who are we putting first in our life? Is it Christ? Or is it the things of this world? God says, you don't serve anything but me first. When we put something else first, that means they're the ones we're worshiping over God. Worship looks different in this day and age. We're not cutting up animals and putting them on the altar and sacrificing that way anymore. But when we prioritize things over God, we are worshiping that. We are sacrificing time, energy, resources to those things. God says, me first, always. That has to be the mindset. We can bring these things along with us as long as we always have this attitude of it's Jesus first. It's his mission first. It's not, hey, this is my life and I love you, Jesus, but I've got this plan and I kind of just want to make you come with me. Make this plan work and that's going to go well, Jesus. No, he says, I've got a better plan for all of you. We're all on this mission together. Luke 18, 18 through 23. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question. That's a great question. It's a healthy question. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. It's a whole other preach. We're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. It just stops there. This is the point where we need to learn to do this. Yes, Lord. It's out of our own sense of self-justification and not knowing when to stop speaking that we get ourselves in trouble. Because, and he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. I'm a good person. I've done good things. I've got it. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. What he's about to say, he didn't say it first. He's added this on because of what came out of this man's heart. 
sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. What is this not saying? It's not saying, hey, every Christian, sell off all of your possessions, give it all away, and then follow Jesus. That's not what this is saying. He said that specifically to him. What is the heart of what he is saying? You treasure this more than anything else. You treasure it more than me. You think pretty highly of yourself, but you're not willing to truly sacrifice. I'm not specifically saying to all of the, this to all of us at this point, but we have to own that. Are we willing to set aside that which we hold most dear for God? Are we willing to say, you know, this is really important and I'm going to utilize this for God's purposes? Or are we saying this is really important and I can't fulfill God's purposes because it's got all my time and attention? There are things we are going to have to give up. It's not just going to be money. That's kind of the go-to, giving up our money, but that's not it. It might be your passion. It might be your dream. It might be your desire. It might, be, it might just be for advancement. I had a dream of what my life would look like, what my job would look like, that, that career and what I would do and my security and everything, and um, this was not it. <laughs> I literally had to give that up to fulfill what God called for me. What is it that he's called you into? What has he asked you to lay aside for his sake? What has he asked you to utilize for his sake? Because it's not saying you can't do these things, but they can't be more important than God in our lives. Exodus 4, 10 through 12. This is a big one. I'm going to go way, 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 way back. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servants, but I am slow of speech and tongue. I do not speak well. Whenever I try to talk about Jesus, I get all flustered, I get a stutter, and I just know what to say, and it just comes out like, yeah, Jesus. I don't speak well about you, God. I can't get up in front of people. I'm terrified. It's literally the number one fear in America is public speaking. Number two is death. <laughs> Meaning out of the choice at a funeral, they'd rather be in the coffin. <laughs> I don't speak well. I can't do that. I can't do what they do. Not everybody's called to do this. But every single one of us, every single day, talks to people. Every single one of us has the ability to hold a normal conversation with one other person. That's what God's called each one of us to do. Hold a conversation with one other person and tell that one other person about me. He says, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Are we relying on God in those moments? Yeah, we may not individually in our own strength, our own abilities, be good speakers. He says, rely on me. Have faith in me. 
seek me in that moment? And from time to time, your answer might be, I don't know. And when we can sit in that, knowing that we don't have to know everything to tell them about Jesus, it'll get a whole lot easier. Let's go find out. Because it's important enough that you know Jesus, that I'm willing to tell you. It's probably going to be uncomfortable. This, me doing this right now, has not always been comfortable. Quite the opposite. When I learned how to teach, I can remember the first time I went into a classroom. There was only like eight students. It was not a big classroom. I was terrified. Literally, I can remember my stomach just like <laughs> physically doing that. It was just shaking because of how nervous I was in this moment. But what causes that to go away is doing it over and over and over and over and over and over again until it simply becomes a familiar thing that we do. Not everything we do is going to come easy. This is what I have to teach my son who thinks that when I'm older, it'll be easier. No, it won't. <laughs> it's only going to be easier when you start doing it. We have to begin the process. We have to be reliant on God to help us learn to walk, so to speak. We have to be able and willing to be in an uncomfortable spot, to get to a point where it gets more comfortable, gets more feasible, and then it's just something we do. Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Don't do that to God. <laughs> Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Same question. Still a good question. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? It's not the same response. It's a different kind of person. The other person was a ruler he was just in charge of people, perhaps not as well educated as the lawyer. In this case, he's saying, how do you read it? What do you perceive? You know your Bible. You know the scriptures. You've taken time. What do you perceive? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about this many, many times, that if you can handle that, that's everything. All the law and the prophets hinge on those two commands. If you've got that, it's everything. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Another moment when we need to go, yes, Lord. He's given us the truth. He's given us instruction. Yes, Lord. But... But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus, what's the minimum I need to do for this to work out? <laughs> if you ask God the minimum, he's going to rock your world. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem. No, not a story. This is going to be bad. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, 
passed by on the other side. Priests and the Levites, the religious people of the time, the people that are most likely, I'm going to give them complete benefit of the doubt, doing the good work that God has called them to do day by day. They're working in God's temple. They're teaching God's people. They're doing good things. They're busy with the work of God. They're good and decent people. They're busy people. They're probably tired people. They're probably people just like you and me, trying to do the good work that God has set before them. And they come across something else, and it's just, oh, that's a lot. That's more than I want to handle right now. Lord, it would be okay if someone else managed that. Someone else will surely come along. I've, I've got this, and you've already told me to do that. I need to just keep heading that way. But a Samaritan. It's really important that this is a Samaritan in the story. The Samaritans were despised. They were despicable in the eyes of the Jews. They wouldn't have associated. They wouldn't have spoken to them. So think about someone in your life that the only thing that you have good to say about them is you love them because Jesus loves them. There's nothing else good you can say. That's this person. As he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound, him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you, more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? It's very unlikely that the Samaritan was a physical neighbor. They didn't associate with them. They didn't live with them. They didn't do anything with them. The physicalness of it isn't what's being spoken of here. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Your neighbor is every other soul on this planet that doesn't know me. And they need you. And they need me. That's your neighbor. Everybody that needs you. During the most difficult, trying times of your life. My life we're going to come across people where it's like, that's a lot of work. That's going to take a lot of time. That's going to take my money, my resources. I'm going to be giving up things that I'm not going to get back. And do you know what's okay to do during that time? It's okay to go before God and say, Lord, I really don't want to do this. I would really like to not, but not my will, but yours. We shouldn't discount it right away. We should not excuse right away. We should always take it before God. And if he says no, that is for someone else, then you can go forth. But if he says no, that's for you, then we need to put on that smile, work up some love in our heart, and go graciously and do the work that God has called us to. Because that's important too. Because if we just go... Fine. God told me to help you. Come on, get up. Let's go. Jesus, Jesus wants me to help you out. What are we saying? What are we saying to people? You're not really of any value, but God wants me to help you. I don't want to do this. I don't want to help you. I don't really like you. But, you know, Jesus. What are we saying? Is that displaying the character of God? 
No, he said to display love to people, and that's very unloving to do. We have to approach people as God approaches them when he calls us to do this. And it will be inconvenient. It will cost us time. It will cost us resources. It will cost us effort. And a lot of times it's just going to cost us money. It's going to be something I'm, I'm not getting that back. And that's hard. But that's the call. He said, don't value that more than this mission that I have set you all on. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this to our context here as a church? What is our purpose? What is our part in this mission? Westside Church, Placerville, El Dorado County, California, America, world. This is where we are. Every single one of us is on this planet. We're in a global mission. We don't get to have a blind eye saying, no, we're just here. My mission's right here. Our mission is part of the greater context. The slogan, the saying, what we've always talked about is on that big brown sign right there. We are in community on mission to know Christ and to make him known. It's a two-part concept. We have a training, equipping, going, sending culture here that we do have a good, healthy community where we build each other up. We teach good doctrine. We get people trained. We come together. We love each other. We share time together. We pray together. We support each other. It's a healthy place to be. We often have people come in and they stay because they are known. People said hi to me. 18 people said hi to me my first time. It was weird. (laughs) But it made me feel seen. People stay because of that, because there's a healthy community of believers here where people are getting trained up. But trained up for what? This is just part of the mission. It's an important part of the mission, but it's only part. It's not the whole mission. A healthy community is not the whole thing because we are training people up and equipping them so that they can go out into whatever context God has called them to. So they can go to their school and be built up and successful. So they can go to their work. So they can go to their neighborhood. So that they can go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them. It's a two parts to this mission that we do together. If we get to this point where we just settle and we get this is comfortable and this is good and we couldn't possibly think of a time without, without Matt or without Mike or without... Corbin and Hannah, we couldn't think of a time without them. We couldn't possibly send them. Then we're not being faithful to that mission because there are people that are going to be sent eventually. Not necessarily those people. That's not prophetic. (laughs) (laughs) We have to have this mindset that we are willing to stay. Staying shouldn't be our first frame of mind. We are willing to stay if that's what God's called us to but we're expecting to go because some are going to be sent. Some are going to be a part of Acts 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off and they did not come back for a very long time. We have to be willing to, this is to understand and own that this is our culture that we are a church who sends. We train, equip, we have good doctrine, good, healthy community so that we can do that. I'm going to throw up a map here in just a moment. I want you to consider for a moment, hey, look at that. 
I had to like navigate through the labyrinth last time. They made a, a path for me. Inside joke, sorry. Um, <laughs> consider for a moment, what, is, what do you think the most important church in the New Testament was? Which church? So this is a map of the early Christian world. And so when we look at this, they're hard to see because the names are small and I didn't write them bigger for some reason. Down here we have Jerusalem. Up here we have Antioch, we have Tarsus, Colossae, Philadelphia, Ephesus, Corinth, up top Thessalonica. A lot of those should sound very familiar. They're going to sound like books of the Bible. Thessalonians, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Those come because of the letters written to those churches. Where did those churches come from? The ministry. The ministry of Paul and Barnabas and the others that went out on those trips, on those journeys, on those years of sacrifice and time. And who sent them? It was not Jerusalem. Right here is the church of Antioch. Antioch was on fire for God. They are the first church to ever be called Christians. They were so on fire that the church in Jerusalem sent up Barnabas, one of their best, to find out what was going on. And it was good, but they needed some leadership and instruction, so he stayed. He heard about Paul. He went to Tarsus. He got Paul and brought him back to Antioch, where they had this healthy, stable community, building up believers, training them in the works of service so that they could send them. And what I just read is when they released them, and they began their first ministry trip for years, and then they came back to Antioch. They got built up again, and they sent them out again, they went back to Antioch. They got built up. And they w sent them again. And every time they returned to Antioch. There is no book of the Antiochians in Scripture. The closest thing to that is the book of Acts, where they sent them again and again and again. The New Testament churches is a testament to the faithfulness of the church of Antioch fulfilling the call that God had on their lives. Be willing to spend finances, resources, people to release them outwards to respond to the call that God had on their lives. We have to consider, what if they had said, you know, this is a great thing we've got going on here. Let's just keep doing what we're doing in our region, but we really can't lose Paul. I mean, imagine not having Paul speaking every Sunday. Imagine not having Barnabas. They just settled. You don't have a book of the Corinthians. You don't have Galatians. You don't have Romans. You don't have Philippians. You don't have Ephesians. You don't have any of those accounts. You don't have any of those letters that we rely upon so much for our Christian walk. God would in some way deliver his word to us still because he's faithful to do so but it would not look like that. Those churches wouldn't have existed if they weren't faithful to the, God, the call that God had on them. And so we are faithful to God, the call that God has on us. It's a big call. It's intimidating. But he's with us. 
to the bitter end. I want to encourage you out of Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. As a little aside here in the middle, we continue in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we have all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's a big call, and it's a call for every single one of us. Every single one of us has a part to play, and your part is vital. No matter what it is, it's vital because you're a part of the body as a whole. And when we all work together, the body grows. And we keep advancing the kingdom with Jesus. We keep fulfilling the great command with Jesus. When each and every one of us is working as he has called us to do. As he strengthens us to do when we rely upon him for this good work. Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Amen?